Hello, I'm Dr. Louise Newson, and welcome to my podcast. I'm a GP and menopause specialist, and I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Centre here in Stratford-upon-Avon. I'm also the founder of the Menopause Charity and the Menopause Support App called Balance. On the podcast, I will be joined each week by an exciting guest to help provide evidence-based information and advice about both the perimenopause and the menopause. So today I have back with me in the studios, Kate Muir, who has been before. If any of you haven't listened, you need to listen to the first podcast we did together. And we're back again. So thanks, Kate, for coming and joining me today. Thank you. I'm really busy, actually. We're in the middle of filming the next Davina McCall menopause documentary, and my book's just come out. So in yes. a sort of chaos. Absolutely. It sounds like my life. So perfect. So let's talk about your book for a little bit, which has just come out, which is incredible. There have been a lot of books about the menopause in the last few years, really. Obviously, mine is really important. <laughs> but yours should have been written by an academic, actually. I think it is incredible the amount that you've learned, the amount that you've understood, but actually you've not taken anything at face value. So your book, I think, is unique to any other books out there in the market, certainly in the menopause space. So can you just explain a bit more about what you write about and why it's so different? Well, what I hope to do was a really, really good piece of investigative journalism, because that's where I come from. And I don't just come from health and lifestyle world. I come from a place where we prove things. And, you know, I've been out in the Gulf War and I've done quite a lot of dangerous things in my job. But it turned out that this was by far the most complex and difficult subject I'd ever tackled. And the really shocking thing about my discoveries was first the shoddy science that we were being fed and the lies that women were being fed. And it was really sloppy what we were being told about HRT and breast cancer. But it was just the whole information around menopause was sloppy. And I felt very sexist and missing out on a huge amount of information for women. So that was a key point. The other key point was I didn't know how emotional this would be. And when I met these women, and I met women every week, and I talk to women, as you do, Louise, but Mm. every day now, I couldn't believe what they had suffered and what they had gone through in ignorance and what a huge difference on the whole HRT or even knowing what their symptoms were made to their lives and just giving women knowledge as well as help seemed to matter. And so I thought, well, I will just find ways to write this book and we sent it out to publishers and actually it turned out actually quite a lot of publishers were interested Mm -hmm. in it to my surprise because I thought, No one's going to read this, but it turned out that there really is a big black hole in knowledge. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know, when I first met you, I don't think either of us actually were fully aware of the suffering that was going on. I was only aware of it, or I've only become aware of it really the last few years since I've exposed myself to more women, not just clinically, but women and social media and the stories that we hear. And it's just the tip of the iceberg, I know it is. But you've been exposed as well, like you say. Had you had any idea of the human suffering that's been going on? I had no idea. And I had no idea of people losing their jobs and their relationships and just their whole lives in some cases. 
And I just didn't understand. I really did not understand the mental health aspects of the menopause and how massive they were and actually how hot flushes are a thing. But what matters is what's happening inside your body and your brain. And I suppose understanding that and understanding really interestingly what happens in the menopausal brain, which Mm -hmm. we're now beginning to understand, and I've started talking to researchers about that. Once we understand what happens to our brain, we will feel much more confident, I think. Yeah, I think that's so true. And certainly since, I mean, you've done a huge amount. I know everyone does a lot of research for their books, but anyone who's listening cannot underestimate the amount of research that you've done, Kate, because you've read lots of papers, but you've done more than that. You've spoken to the authors from some really key papers, not just in the UK, but abroad. I mean, how many people, how many professors and learned people have you spoken to, do you think? I have no idea, but over a hundred, I would imagine, mm. of the very important people. I've also spoken to all the senior menopause doctors and leaders around the world. So, you know, I've spoken to Susan Davis in Australia about her opinions on testosterone, which are really interesting. I've spoken to Philip Sarrell in Yale about things. And I'm now speaking to more and more actually Americans because I'm doing an American version of my book. And I spoke to people at the BMS here. I spoke to Nick Panay. So I spoke to all the experts, but I also learned a lot from women themselves who are the real experts, obviously, and know exactly what happens. And when people say, oh, well, here's a statement saying perimenopause lasts four years. Oh, no, it doesn't. (laughs) And the idea, you know, that people are citing these statistics Nobody's done any studies on anything you find, you know, there's, and when you look at some of the studies, like some of the studies in the workplace, they're done on 500 people or 400 people, and often some of them are men. And you think, why even cite this study? It's really, really sloppy journalism. So it was really important to go to the horse's mouth and all these very senior academics and menopause specialists all over the place. And I mean, in the end, there is one major opinion, which is that body identical HRT is very, very good and that transdermal HRT really, really helps and that the other stuff is not great. But there's still, this is what I don't get. Why are they still talking about the old combined pills, the rates of cancer from old combined pills? Why are they even giving out pills that are more likely to cause clotting? And why are they giving them out? all over Scotland, where I come from. I do not understand why we're using a bad medicine when we have a good medicine in our cupboard, approved by the NHS, and we can hand it out, and it might cost 50 pence more or a pound more. But, you know, in terms of long-term health, it is bonkers. And I'm just really angry and almost excited to expose this to the world. And and I know you have in the medical world, but I'm, I'm very keen to shout about it. It's very interesting, isn't it? So there's still a lot of pushback, though. And I was actually at a roundtable discussion a couple of weeks ago about menopause and HRT. And I had this horrible flu, chest infection thing. So I felt like I was menopausal, actually. I had, you know, my brain was functioning slowly. And I thought, right, I'm just going to switch my camera off, switch my mic off. I felt like a teenager at at a lesson in COVID. So I just was listening, actually, and towards the end, I'm not going to mention any names, but there were people saying, what's all this push for transdermal oestrogen and micronized progesterone? It is ridiculous. And they were two quite well-known, but well-spoken. They were women, actually, and saying, it's ridiculous. It's just a publicity stunt. It should never go to this way. And ordinarily, I would have unmuted myself and taken my camera off and said, 
absolutely, I don't agree. Look at the evidence. But at the end of the day, I was too tired and I'm actually a bit worn out with all the battering that goes on. So I thought, I'll just hear where this goes. And I was really sad, actually, because this was about personal opinion rather than about evidence. And I think the evidence is really important. If you look at David Sackett in 1999, when he described the term evidence-based medicine, it was really pivotal, actually. And Mm. I was just um, a junior doctor then. But actually, it's not just about the evidence that's written in academic journals. It's also about learning from patients and learning from experience. And I think it's really interesting, isn't it? And you've done a bit, like you say, talking to women. And when you can read a textbook and say the average duration of menopausal symptoms is four years, but you've spoken to hundreds, if not thousands of women for your research for your book and the Channel 4 documentary, and most of these are probably telling you that they've had symptoms for many more than that. So who do you believe? Do you understand and learn from a textbook or do you learn from experience? And it has to be a combination. Yeah. And I would say that the main menopause textbook that's out is incredibly out of date, even though it only came out last year from the BMS. And it cites lots of old studies. So I think nobody has written the really, really well, you've written a great menopause textbook, but it's also for women too, Louise. But, you know, we really, really need somebody to do amazing evidence-based work and we deserve money for it and if the government could look at the amount of money they would save by caring about the menopause just a tiny bit and we all know the kind of statistics which are you know HRT costs around you know 120 pounds a year for women a hip operation replacement costs 15,000 do the maths Boris Johnson you know HRT is going to improve osteoporosis and rebuild bone oh, but why don't we just let one in two women, you know, crack Mm. their bones? And I think somebody will eventually clock onto the economics of this. Not necessarily someone that cares about women, but when they clock onto the economics, they will understand that this is one of the biggest stories anyone's ever sort of missed. Well, it totally is, Kate. And I remember writing probably about four years ago, I wrote an editorial for the British Journal of General Practice called Unpicking the Evidence about HRT and I was really scared about writing it actually because I was writing to say that the WHI study actually there were problems with it it wasn't right and also it looked at older types of HRT Mm. given to a different group of women and it took a few edits before it got published but that study then was 15 years old it's now 20 years old but we all still talk about it so I would really like to know, and I don't know if you've got any answers, why has it even taken 20 years for us to be talking like this now, but also the 20 years of a lack of evidence, you know, about HRT? You know, body identical hormones have been around for a very long time, Mm -hmm. but no one's done any good studies. And yes, of course, placebo-controlled studies are the gold standard and they cost a lot of money. But how much has been spent on cardiovascular disease? How much has been spent on diabetes research? How much has been spent on cancer research? And how much, you know, the menopause affects 100% of half the population. So, I mean, have you got any figures for how much money has been spent on research over the last 20 years? Have you got a feel for it? Oh, God, I have no idea. But I would say very, very little. Mm -hmm. And every time I would go to look for a piece of research, on the whole, it wouldn't exist or there would be tiny numbers of women, like 47 women in, in a trial. Uh, you know, I realised, of course, hormones are not really patentable. You're not going to make any money out of putting two hormones together in a little tube. 
And so the big pharma has absolutely no interest in financing charities or financing research or anything like that. And so there's no economic incentive for big pharma to be kind to us. Mm -hmm. And there is an incentive for it to sell us the same old crap. And I do not know why we are letting that happen. And it is criminal, I think, of the NHS not to explain to women on its website the difference between the two kinds of HRT, body identical, made from yams, a copy of your own hormone, and the other stuff which has synthetic progestins in it. And the synthetic progestins have got a record of showing up more in people who have breast cancer. So what are they doing? So, well, you'd be pleased to hear that they are updating the NHS website. And I've... Well, I was reviewing it over the weekend, actually. So they've got a group of people on there. And I was looking at it over the weekend and just writing lots of comments because they want my comments, which is a great honour that they want me to be involved. But they've got three pages on hot flushes. And actually, what I did was that I highlighted it all and deleted it and said, I don't think you need to talk about hot flushes because I do not think that is the biggest problem don't get me wrong for those of you listening who've had hot flushes they can be really debilitating Mm. but as a general symptom I do not think that's the symptom that women worry about the most I don't know what do you think having spoken to people I mean I think hot flushes are obviously a big problem for the one in seven women that get breast cancer and can't necessarily go on HRT afterwards and struggle so there is a whole other thing but I think hot flushes are the kind of you know, the fashion front of, of kind of menopause, whereas inside is what's going on. And what makes women lose their jobs and walk out of their jobs is not really the hot flushes. What makes women lose their jobs is the brain fog and the stress and the lack of sleep and the anxiety. And the huge effect of lack of sleep and waking up in the middle of the night, I mean, I suppose that is a hot flush, some of that as well, is massive. But we don't, I mean, 90% of women do not need to have hot flushes, do they? But they want to suffer through them. And one of the great pieces of information I found in my book was stuff by a researcher called Polly Mackey in Chicago, who I think you know. Mm. And she researched what a hot flush does to your brain. And she got women to do a little memory test as they were having a hot flush. And then, you know, had a placebo of people who weren't having a hot flush. The women who had the hot flush forgot far more. And even later on at the time, later on after that, forgot more again. And what was clear was that 5 or 10% of your blood is going to your extremities. It's heating up your skin. You're becoming a human radiator. Where does your blood come from? Where's your blood working hardest? In your brain. Okay, so hot flushes are not a joke. Your blood leaves your brain. It works not on full power, it's a power outage, and it goes to the extremities of your body. In what way is that good? In what way is that fun? In what way is that a joke that you put on mugs, you know? I'm still hot, it comes in flashes now, you know. No, 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 no. We don't need to suffer through the symptoms. I mean, some people have to tough it out, and there are ways, and I know you know there are ways with good antidepressants and lifestyle changes. Well, it's still not the same, though, Kate, as you know, and we've spoken about this on several podcast actually we've got information for women who've had breast cancer because a lot of women still take hrt but the psychological impact is huge Mm. isn't it like you say not just the memory and brain fog a lot of people just feel very flat very demotivated less self-esteem feelings Mm. of low self-worth and there's been some very interesting research looking at what low hormone levels do in the brain there's a quite good work and lisa mcconey i know has done some incredible work 
But actually, there's very little work showing what happens when those hormones come back. There's lots of studies, um, not great studies, but there are some studies saying about different diets, exercise, sleep can help with our brain function. But there's little. I know you've spoken to Professor Roberta Brinton, haven't you? Yeah. Do you want to talk a bit about her research? Because that's very interesting. That's really interesting. So Professor Roberta Diaz Brinton is in Arizona. She's done research with Lisa Mosconi, who wrote the book The XX Brain. But what is absolutely gripping about Brinton's research is she wanted to see the effect of HRT on Alzheimer's, actually, and in the brain. And she went back to the records, the insurance records of almost 4,000 women in Kentucky over, I think, 10 or 20 years. And she went through those records. And what she showed was that if you were taking transdermal estrogen, you were 73% less likely to get Alzheimer's. Now, obviously, women who take HRT tend to be middle class, tend to be insured, et cetera, et cetera, in America. So there is that slight bias, but 73% less likely to get Alzheimer's. I think that is a huge thing. And they were less likely to suffer from multiple sclerosis as well and various other of those sort of neurodegenerative diseases. And so you think, well, what is estrogen doing in my brain? And for me, and I've written a whole chapter on this, and for me, it's it's more than science, it's emotion. And actually, that's why I researched the science so carefully, because I was emotional, because my mum died of Alzheimer's in 2015. And I was aware of exactly how her brain decayed over about actually seven, 10 years. I really, really noticed it. And when, you know, proper nouns would disappear from her vocabulary and then eventually she thought I was her mum or sometimes she didn't. And, you know, and it was just one of the worst, probably the worst experiences I've been through in my life. And the idea that we possibly have hormones that could stop other people experiencing that is to me the most important thing I can talk about. Because, you know, Alzheimer's is not the person just having Alzheimer's. The whole family gets Alzheimer's. And the partner gets Alzheimer's and the children get up. You know, we all suffer from it because it is the worst thing seeing someone die bit by bit in front of you. So I think knowing about what estrogen does in the brain, and it's not going to stop Alzheimer's necessarily if you've got the APE or 4 gene, but having a brain in incredibly good health and having it all flowing and the petrol working in your brain means you're much, much less likely to get Alzheimer's or dementia. And that's massive for me. Well, it's massive for everyone, isn't it? Because one of the commonest causes of death in women is Alzheimer's. Yeah. Alzheimer's research charity talk about how common Alzheimer's and dementia is in women. And they've got a big program at the moment with their research looking at prevention. But when I spoke to them a few months ago, they said they're doing nothing into female hormones. Me too. I went in their press office and they sent me a statement saying, we're looking into various things, but nothing special on hormones. But Roberta Brinson's been given $15 million in America to look into HRT and Alzheimer's in a much bigger Mm -hmm. randomized controlled trial. So that will be, I think, what people will be waiting for. But we can't really wait. And I can't Mm -hmm. wait 10 years to hear about this. And what should women? Women should... Go with the observational evidence we have now. That's what I do. I totally agree. And I think some of it's common sense evidence as well. But we also do have evidence from someone called La Rocca, and I'm sure you've looked at his work as well, where he's taken ovaries. Well, he hasn't taken, but women who've had their ovaries removed at a young age. He's looked to see how diseases progress and Mm -hmm. not just dementia, but other 
psychiatric diseases as well. So even manic depression, psychosis, drug addiction, obviously clinical depression, anxiety, Mm. all those increase. And what's a common denominator with all these is obviously the brain is not working well. Mm. And we know that the hormones get everywhere in their brains. And it's not just estrogen, it's testosterone as well, isn't it? And just because there's not been research done to say that having these hormones will definitely reduce risk or prevent this disease, we have got some, like you say, softer research. But actually a lot of medicine is about not doing harm. So I don't know, what have you found, Kate, that's harmful about having body identical hormones? Have you found anything conclusive that shows that these hormones are dangerous or harmful? No, the only thing I've been able to look at, because there is no, there are no studies really. <laughs> there are three French studies. One is very large of French teachers, the E3N mm-hmm. study, which shows that over five years, and it, it tests the different kinds of hormones, which is really interesting. So it tests different preparations of HRT and the micronized progesterone with the body identical transdermal estrogen shows no cancer, no breast cancer over five years and possibly a tiny amount over 10, but this is very unclear. But it looks, if you're looking at it, you're looking at a very clean slate. There are two other smaller French studies, which shows that actually taking transdermal estrogen and micronized progesterone seems to reduce your chances of breast cancer by a small Mm -hmm. amount. And in general, as we know now, if you take HRT in the UK anyway, UK statistics of patients show you live nine years longer. I mean... Say that again, sorry. nine years longer you've seen that haven't you yeah of course I have I'm just trying to repeat it because I think this is what's really interesting so I think when you google HRT or until the NHS website's updated which hopefully it will be soon it's all about risks isn't it and so sometimes when I see patients and they're really worried and I understand completely everyone's anxiety is that I say to them do you think estrogen is dangerous well of course they think it is because they're worried so then I say to them Do you think oestrogen in young women is dangerous because young women have higher amounts of oestrogen? And if oestrogen caused breast cancer, young women would have breast cancer. Older women who have low oestrogen in their bodies, if they're not taking HRT, would not develop breast cancer. So actually, common sense medicine can tell you that hormones have got to be safe. But common sense has gone out the window, really, hasn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. But I think it is changing so much. And I wanted to, one of the things I wanted to say while talking to you on this podcast is think about us three years ago, because I know, Louise, that you're exhausted, that you're always struggling, that you're always talking to the authorities and saying, we can move forward. There is hope. You know, I run the largest menopause clinic in the world. I see these women. I know what goes on. Here's the truth. Okay, so I know you struggle every day to push this agenda forward and to push the truth forward Mm. scientifically. You know, I absolutely understand that. And I was thinking when I met you, which I think was in May or June 2019, which seems a very short time ago, and I had no idea I was going to write a menopause book and make two documentaries with Serena McCall. Did I didn't know anything about anything. And you had a little tiny menopause clinic with about, I don't know, six doctors in it or something Mm, like that. And I think, well, if we've done this and things have changed so much, you know, and 2.5 million women have watched that Davina menopause program and Davina herself was terrific in it. And the catalyst from that came from you. You know, it was you talking to me about the injustice. Mm. And this is about injustice. 
I think that's absolutely clear to me. It's a medical injustice. Yes. And, but isn't it a shame that it's taken a documentary that's not evidence, no, I'm not being rude to you here, Kate, but it's not evidence-based. It's not based on a randomised control study. It's not based on huge research because it's a documentary about people's experiences mainly, backed up by some research, of course. But that's been the biggest change, this Davina effect, because of the documentary, more than anything else. And how outrageous and embarrassing is that for medicine, for research, that that's what's making women change their minds. And it shows the power of media, of course it does, but it also shows how dreadfully behind research is in this area. And we talk about injustice to women, but also this inequality for research in general, not just in menopause to women, is bad, isn't it? But it's even worse when it becomes into menopause. It's just being neglected for so long. Well, I think you're crashing ageism and sexism together there and you know if this was happening you know suddenly women in their you know it is happening to women in their 20s a few of them obviously but if suddenly everybody in their 20s suddenly became infertile and suddenly got hot sweats and suddenly couldn't remember their mum's name you know what would happen you know or if it happened to men you know you always think what did it happen to men you know how would they feel if they lost their car in the Sainsbury's car park that could happen, you know. And I think we really, really need to be very strong about asking for the research because I think that will give everybody much more confidence. I think there's a moral duty of the kind of medical establishment in Britain to do this research. And I think it will save millions of lives and it will make millions of lives much less miserable because when I was researching all the stuff about vaginal oestrogen, and realising, you know, that most women just sit there with a dry vulva when they're 80, they're in agony, they're sitting on a little rubber ring in an old people's home. And I thought also about my mum again, who was in a wheelchair in her last sort of year of life and was always really uncomfortable sitting there. And mm. I didn't know, I'd never heard of vaginal oestrogen, you know, in 2015. Didn't know it existed, didn't know what happened to women's vulvas, didn't know your face gets wrinkly you know, your bottom half gets wrinkly. Yes, you can put a cream on it. Yes, it will be better. Mm. Yes, it will happen really quickly. And I'm horrified when I think of all those women, like my mum, sitting in homes, really uncomfortable every day, Mm. you know, with the brain problems that they don't need to have. And, you know, we don't care because it's women. You know, one in five women get Alzheimer's and one in 11 men get Alzheimer's. I know, I totally agree. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, is, you know, before I left general practice, I did an audit looking to see how many women who were in nursing homes, residential homes, warden-controlled flats, sheltered accommodation, were taking HRT. It was obviously none. A few having vaginal estrogen, but not nearly enough. And then a couple, well, actually four clinicians who work with me have done the same for their big practices and they've found exactly the same results. Now, obviously, we need to look at this research better. We need to match the women in nursing this home for everything else with women who aren't and see is there a difference? Because actually, if something that costs four or eight pounds a month is keeping people away from these very, very expensive nursing homes, residential homes, well, surely that's a silver bullet, isn't it? Mm. You know, because we do need to look at disease prevention. We know the NHS is creaking and mm. COVID's obviously made it worse. So anything that will stop people going. And if you look at the number of, you know, overprescribing for antidepressants, it's always in women. Mm. You look at osteoarthritis and hip replacements, women, mm. MS, 
you know, let these women get all sorts of problems and not more in women. So there's a lot more disease that's happening, but there's a lot more potential for disease prevention as well, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, the antidepressant thing and the mental health thing, I think we could make a huge difference in that mm-hmm. arena in the ages between sort of 45 and 55. Yes. And I looked at the statistics, which I think I only got up to 2018, which was 16% of women in that age group were on antidepressants. And then I looked at the American statistics and it was 23%. Oh, and that was from ages ago. So I'm reckoning in America, a quarter of women of menopausal age are on antidepressants. And what does that tell us? It's awful, isn't it? You know, on the whole, that is hormonal depression because they weren't depressed people before and suddenly there's an incredible rise in the use of antidepressants. And after all we've been through in lockdown and everything else and the pandemic, if we could intervene and if doctors would just say, oh, you're between 45 and 55, have a look at these 14, 20, 30, 50 symptoms of the menopause, but give them a piece of paper with a list on it and they can tick a box and say, yes, I've got brain fog. Yes, I have stress and anxiety. Yes, I feel sad every morning, you know. And, you know, it'd be really simple to do that when they're in for their cold or they're in for their jab or whatever else and just hand it over and then hand them over a piece of paper that says, this is how you can take HRT. It will affect your brain. And I mean, we could make that simple change just with a printer. It's unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the reasons that we've um, created the app, because I think that everybody mm. who actually goes over the threshold of a hospital or primary care centre or any has any medical intervention, if they're an adult woman, any age, they should download it. Or like you say, or have the questionnaire or anything, because women will know, they'll get the diagnosis if they're given the tools. And we haven't been given the tools for the last... 20, 30 years, and now we um, we need to come back, don't we? Yes. No, I think the app is brilliant. It's, it's such a good mm. idea. And I know that women who use the app are much more likely to get HRT. Yeah, 65% most recent yeah. figures have shown that um, we'll get HRT, and seeing as only 12% of women currently get HRT, it's helping. So. I think it really equips women with the confidence, mm. knowledge. And obviously there's a whole story coming now because so many doctors have actually suddenly trained in the menopause on your confidence in the menopause course I keep hearing of women who go in with 50 sheets of paper and the doctor goes oh of course you can have chance to download HRT do you want a patch or gel and they don't even waste any time on it and they're ready to fight a battle and there's no battle to be fought it's brilliant and this is really I mean it's working all together so I mean I'm very grateful for all the work that you've done and for any of you that want any information about HRT the controversies, the research, then absolutely buy Kate's book because you won't be disappointed. It really is brilliant. And share it around as well because I think the more people that read it and they realise about the atrocities of what's gone on and the absolute car crash to women's health, I think everyone will then look at menopause and women in a different way when they've read your book. So thank you so much, Kate. So I would just like to ask for three take-home tips. And actually, I would like to ask... Three things that you think are achievable to happen in the next three years? Because we've talked about a lot's happened in a short space of time, but what three things would you really like to see happening? I'd like to see menopause symptom list given out in doctor's surgery. Mm. An easy one there, win-win. I would like to see research into body identical estrogen and mycomized progesterone. And I would like to see some amazing research in Britain, not in America, in Britain, on Alzheimer's 
and estrogen and testosterone in women's brains. I'm really, really interested. And I think that will be life-changing for millions of people. No, I couldn't agree more. So really key take-home tips that could be achievable if we have more people listening who are going to do the doing rather than just talking about it. So we look forward to welcoming you back sooner than in three years so we can carry on this conversation. But thank you ever so much for your time today, Kate. It's been great. Thank you, Louise. And thank you for all your work. Oh, thank you. For more information about the perimenopause and menopause, please visit my website, balance-menopause.com or you can download the free Balance app, which is available to download from the App Store or from Google Play.